Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. To our Sunday service, uh, for those of you that have been with us in the past, you'll know that just just prior to our vacation up north, as we say in Michigan, we had finished our journey through the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, we had a sermon series that we called Unstoppable. Now, my preference is really to preach through an entire book in the Bible, and we're beginning today with a brand new series that'll take us through both First and Second Thessalonians. Um, now, these are two of the very first epistles of the Apostle Paul, and the name of our sermon series is actually called Deliverance. Uh, today, we'll be in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and we'll take the time today to give you some background in this epistle. Now, the reason we call this series Deliverance will be fairly obvious as we travel along these two epistles, and we don't have to look really any further uh, than verse number 10 in this very first chapter, where Paul mentions that these new to these new believers that they were waiting for the Son of God from heaven, that is Jesus, who God raised from the dead and who, here's the word, delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, these two letters of Paul to the church in uh, Thessalonia are, are full of prophecy. Uh, they speak very clearly of the day of the Lord, of Jesus' return, of the coming wrath, and we know that as the tribulation. And that's the period that precedes Jesus' physical return to Jerusalem and his reign and rule that we know as the millennial reign of Christ. You know, so let's take a look at when these letters were written and why they were written. Well, in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul is at the beginning of uh, we, we know as his second missionary journey, and he arrives in Thessalonia. Uh, now, this is around 50 AD, about 20 years after Jesus had been crucified, buried, and had risen from the dead. Now, this city, by the way, is still there, and it's called Thessaloniki today. I, I love that word, Thessaloniki. Um, it's a very historically important site. Now, there's ancient runes, include a Roman form that goes back to the second century. There's also the triumphal arc of Garius, uh, Gallius, I'm sorry, who was a Roman Empire back in the third century. Now, upon Paul's arrival, Paul and his companions first went to the Jews, which is was Paul's uh, normal method of operation, and they visited the chief Jewish synagogue. And the Bible says that they were there for three Sabbaths, explaining why Jesus uh, is the Messiah and the Son of God. Now, that's in Acts chapter 17. Now, Paul's teaching focused on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in Acts 17, we get a brief account of Paul's preaching and their response. This is Acts 17, chapter 17, verse 2. It says, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. Now, when we, we talked about this, uh, you know, a few months ago when we were in Acts 17, when it says not a few of the leading women, what it's indicating is that it was the women that were convinced. These are the, the women are the ones that received the message that Paul was preaching. However, many of the Jewish men did not. And nevertheless, the Jews that did not believe caused so much trouble uh, that they, they, came, they caused a riot and actually searched for Paul and Silas and ended up seizing uh, a man named Jason, a Jew, 
who was providing the hospitality to Paul and his companions. Now, Paul then traveled to Berea, then Athens, and ended up in Corinth. Now, it's important because when Paul was in Corinth, um, he was likely disheartened and, and a little bit anxious about the churches that he had just founded. But then he received a good report from Silas and Timothy, who had stayed behind but eventually caught up with him in Corinth. And they gave him great news of the church and Thessalonica. Uh, the church was thriving, their faith was strong, and Paul was so excited that he quickly wrote his, this letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, likely it was his very first epistle. Uh, an epistle, by the way, just means a letter. It's a letter to a church. You know, so let's get started today in the scripture, and we'll see what Paul has to say to these new believers and in Thessalonia. Uh, the letter starts with a greeting. Verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what a wonderful greeting. What a wonderful way to start off the letter. You notice that in this epistle, it references Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And I love this greeting, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God. Now, Paul uses this phrase for the very first time, as this is the very first epistle, and it will become recognized as the standard Paulian, and that's how scholars refer to Paul's writing and teaching. They are Paulian. Uh, Paul will repeat this same greeting, grace to you and peace from God, in 13 of his epistles including uh, the letter to the Romans, the Corinthians, along with Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You know, some commentators have suggested that Paul's use of grace and peace echoes the blessings spoken over Israel and often included in our benedictions at the end of our services. This is out of Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 and 26. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. You know, however, I, I've looked at this, and, I, and, I've, and I've, while I have great respect for these commentators, they're, they're obviously very learned and know much more about this than I do. I really believe that Paul is not emphasizing the graciousness of God, but specifically the grace of God. You know, one of Paul's primary message, message was the grace of God. In Ephesians, for example, Paul states very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Now, this is key. This grace that Paul speaks of is what differentiates Christianity from all other religions, even from Judaism. It is this realization and insight that the Lord gave to Paul that had him declare that the time, this time from the time of Pentecost until Jesus returns, is what Paul declared to be the dispensation of the grace of God. Now, that's another scary word, right? Dispensation. But, you know, this is just what the Bible says. And Paul said that it was this ministry that he received from the Lord Jesus to make known the gospel of the grace of God. Now, this was a mystery to all the Old Testament prophets. You know, they knew that God was going to bless all of the people of the earth through the Messiah, but they did not know how that was going to be done. You know, so this is a divine ministry that God would make salvation to all people, to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles, and that God would pour out his, his grace, 
his favor on all those who called upon his name. Now, before we move on, I, I mentioned earlier that the letter is from Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy. Paul was, was an amazing man, an apostle of God, and he actually did not work by himself. Whenever he could, Paul would work with, uh, with a team. Here, Paul mentions the men that he worked with, Silvanius, which is another name for Silas. And, Paul, and Silas was on the second missionary journey. And as you may recall from our study of Acts, Timothy was the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother named Eunice. Timothy was a trusted companion and associate of Paul, and he accompanied Paul on, on many, many of his missionary journeys. So let's continue our lesson today. We've only read verse 1 so far. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you, always mentioning of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Now, verse 2 says, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. You know, when you think of others, perhaps your family, your friend, your best friends, your church friends, previous employers, co-workers, does your heart fill with gratitude? You know, it should. One of the reasons we travel back to Michigan, my wife and I, with our family, is because along with our family, we have friends that, that we've labored with in churches and in ministry that we get to see there. You know, Paul had only spent a short time in Thessalonica, and it was actually less than an ideal church plan. We didn't really think about it. He, had, he had, was run out of town after only three weekends. The, the scriptures tell us three Sabbaths. Yet the church was strong, and it was full of life. And Paul knew that this was not of his own doing, that the Lord was doing a work there. And these new believers were dear to him and were his co-laborers with him in the gospel. And, and I love it. Paul says he made mention of them in his prayers. You know, I, I like to think that perhaps when Paul prayed for people in churches, he didn't necessarily spend a long time in intercession, making, asking for specific things or making long requests to God, but simply made mention of a church or a person in prayer. Did you happen to see the movie Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with actor Tom Hanks, who played Mr. Rogers? Uh, it was one of the movies we featured last year at the movies. Um, one of the scenes showed Mr. Rogers simply mentioning the names of people that he had been praying for. You know, I love that, as it's so true that God knows exactly what's needed in anyone's life, and we can pray for them by simply mentioning their name before God. And then Paul mentions, he says, your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope. You know, Paul was so grateful to God uh, for the Thessalonians because they were uh, undeniable, was, was, they were uh, the undeniable fact that the Holy Spirit was working in their lives. And, and Paul mentions these three great Christian virtues, faith, love, and hope. Now, this is this is the, the probably, again, the very first time that he mentions these for three, virtu three virtues in order. And we have uh, faith, hope, and love. And of course, we know what is the greatest of all of these, which is, is love. And he, he tells that later to the, to the Corinthians. Then he says, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. 
Now, Paul reminds them that God loved them, they were beloved, and that he chose them. That's that word election. Now, the two go together. When you love somebody, we, we naturally choose them. Now, this word election is all too often associated with the idea that we don't have free will, uh, that it's completely contrary um, to, to what we would think of free will. But this is, this is not what the Word of God says at all. You know, I, I like to think of it this way. The word election is not a scary word. God's election has to do with God's sovereign right to bless as well as to curse. The Bible teaches clearly that the Jews and the Gentiles alike can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and that anyone, actually it says, whosoever who calls upon the Lord shall be saved. You know, election, like the word predestination, often is a controversial word, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, think of it as being adopted. Um, being adopted is a wonderful way of, of choosing your children, of, of, of choosing somebody to become adopted, a, a family member. And that's, and that's really what this whole idea of election speaks to. Now let's continue. Verse 6. It says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy and of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Verse 8, it says, From you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in the Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what a manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God. I love this. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I want to call your attention that Paul says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. You know, Jesus said, follow me. And, and he said it 13 times in the Gospels. You know, he used these simple words, follow me. And he called Peter, Andrew, James, John, the other apostles. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, when Jesus says, follow me, he's not just giving an invitation to, to pray or to, to, to travel along for a short time. Actually, when Jesus says, follow me, he, he's actually talking about a radical decision to abandon the life you wanted to live and find a new life and ultimate joy in following Jesus. Jesus' call to follow him is more than an invitation to, to pray a prayer. It, it's, it's really a, a summons to lose your life and find new life and ultimate joy in being with Christ. Now, these Thessalonians stopped following other things, including many of the Greek idols and practices, and, and followed after Paul and, and the Lord. Now, Paul says that it was a good thing for him them to follow him. Uh, he doesn't, uh, doesn't he, he's, not, he's not shy about saying, follow me, because Paul knew where he was going. Notice that when they became followers of Paul and of Jesus Christ, they became examples, examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, Macedonia and Achaia are in the same area. It's, it's modern-day Greece. Uh, one is north and, and one is south. The Christians in Macedonia and Achaia uh, needed examples. And Paul could not be the only example to them. And these believers in Thessalonica became good examples to them. You know, when my, my wife and I first started attending a good church, we were, we were really young. We'd only been married 
four or five years and, and we were starting to have some children. And fortunately, we, we uh, found a church and in that church, we were invited to a to small group, a, a, a home group that met weekly. Now, these were there were about five couples there initially. And, you know, most of us were pretty young at the time and had young children. Um, but here's the thing that those men and women that we met with on a weekly basis, they meant the world to us. They, they really did. Um, we were new in the faith, but many of them had been following the Lord for years since they were children. Now, they were our examples of how to be salt and light, of how to pray, of how to study, how to walk humbly with the Lord. You know, we all need examples. And these Thessalonians were great examples. Paul writes, he says, from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Now that sounded forth, it, 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 think of a, a loud ringing sound, like a bell that's ringing, it's sounding forth. We have, a, we have a church in the area that, I love it when the bells ring on the church, it's sounding forth, it's, a, it's an example, it's a reminder of who Christ is and what he's done. Now Paul then mentions this testimony that the church of the Thessalonians had, he said, how you turn to God from the idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. You know, their witness wasn't as much what they said, but what they did and who they were. You know, they, these Thessalonians, they, they turned from serving idols. Now, unfortunately, uh, serving an idol back in the time of, of uh, Paul uh, meant that uh, uh, these idols uh, were served by basically drunken orgies. Uh, temple prostitutes were common in their, in their service to these idols. You know, it reminds me of a time years ago when I was, I was working for a man at Ford named Don. Now, Don spent, Don was a, was a pretty good boss. He knew his business, but he spent way too much time in the bar. And, and anytime, uh, anytime he needed something from me, typically he wanted to meet me in the bar. I would, I would be working on paperwork and, and things that I could sign, but I needed his signature as well. And often he wanted me to bring him to the bar and, and, uh, and sign them there. Well, he trusted me as, as a good employee, but one of the things he didn't like is he, he told me a number of times he didn't like those born agains. He knew that he knew that I was a, a born again believer, that Jesus was my Lord and Savior. I didn't make any any excuses. I was very vocal about that. He didn't like it. So one day um, he told me about his his nephew Charles, and Charles had apparently um, uh, come or, or met up or met up with some of these born again types, as, as, as Don said, and he began to go with them to church and even was carrying a Bible now. And that bothered Don and his family uh, considerably that, that all of a sudden one of the people in their family would be one of these born again types. You know, so I asked Don, I said, well, tell me about your nephew, Charles. And, and Don, it was funny, he said uh, that Charles had been in a lot of trouble. He had been hanging out with some of the wrong people. He'd gotten in trouble in high school. Uh, they were even concerned that he might not, he, uh, might not be able to graduate because he'd been drinking. Uh, he got thrown out of school a couple times. Uh, his grades had slipped. And so I said, well, how long has this been going on, Don? And Don said, well, actually, you know, since he's been hanging out with these born-agains, his life has kind of turned around. He's, he's stopped drinking and he's been going to school and his grades are getting better. <laughs> There's a, that's a problem with that born-again thing. You know, um, Charles, Don's son, Don's nephew is actually sounding forth, just like these Thessalonians. He, he's responded to the gospel and the Lord is doing something new in his life. 
So let's go on. Very last verse uh, for today, verse 10. It says this. It says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, this last verse we're looking at today is, is actually very significant. And I want to take my time explaining this. Paul tells us something very important, something that separates Christians, believers in the risen Christ from all other people, all other religions. And Paul said that these Thessalonians, and they were known for this, that they were, this was their testimony. People in Macedonia and Achaia, remember, modern day Greece, knew that these Thessalonians were waiting, it says, what it says, for the return of Christ. Now, Paul says, this is, this is Christ whom God raised from the dead, even Jesus. Paul says even Jesus, just to make sure that we know exactly who he's referring to. This Jesus, Paul said, is, is coming back. We're to be waiting for him. And, and get this, this Jesus will, do you read what it said? Deliver us from the wrath to come. So the question is, for many of you, maybe this is the first time you've heard this, what is this referring to? Well, it's one of the most important cardinal truths of the New Testament. Jesus is coming back. Jesus, it says, will come back in glory. The Bible says he'll set up his kingdom, he'll judge his enemies, he'll reward the faithful, living, and the dead. Now, early Christians believed in the second coming so much that they believed it was imminent. Uh, so if something is imminent, it means that it's certain and that it will happen soon, or at least suddenly. You know, like the early church, we teach also that the visible appearance of Jesus may occur at, at any moment. Jesus said that he would come suddenly, and the Christians should be ever ready for it. You notice also that Paul speaks of being delivered from the wrath of come, to come. Now, this is exactly why the sermon series we're doing on First and Second Thessalonians is called Deliverance, because Paul will mention this a number of times. So what does Paul mean by deliverance? Well, he didn't mean the being delivered from the persecution that was going on, because quite frankly, we've had persecution going on from the time of Paul to today. In fact, did you know today there are more people being persecuted, more martyrs for Christ than at any other time in history? Uh, some people believe that there's somewhere between 25,000 and 100,000 Christians this year that will be martyred. Uh, the worst places are, are in Africa, but it's also other places too, like Korea. In Africa, the Muslim North meets the Christian South, and during that time, it's, it's just a, a very, very difficult time, a difficult place to be a Christian. So Paul wasn't talking about persecution as the wrath which was to come. He was referring to what we know as the tribulation. Now, the tribulation is a period of time described by the Old Testament prophets, as well as the, in the book of Revelation, as a period of, of seven years, the last three and a half being what Jesus referred to as the great tribulation. Now, while this is a time of great calamity, literally the end of the earth as we know it, Paul will call this time when Jesus returns as the blessed hope, that Jesus will return first for his church and will bring those that believe with him to his father's house. This is why Paul says that this Jesus will deliver us from the wrath that is to come. You know, it's significant that Paul in such a brief period of ministry to the Thessalonians, not only led them out of darkness into the light of the gospel, but he started talking about 
end times. Isn't that interesting? You know, by contrast today, you know, some folks in, that go to church year after year never hear of this precious truth that Christ will that, that Christ will come again. You know, Christ, we know, uh, was born in Bethlehem a long time ago. Um, but what we should be looking for is the wonderful return of the Lord. The Lord will come back for his own. That's what Jesus said. He said, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. He said that in his father's house, there are many mansions and that he's going to go prepare a place for us and he will come back and return and take us to be with the father. Now, the, um, this, this word that they are waiting, this waiting uh, means it has, it has to do with something that happens in the future, but the word wait is a present tense verb. We are to wait now for something that is going to happen in the future. And let me tell you, we've never been closer than we are today to the coming of the Lord. You know, this is, this as it was true for the Thessalonians, it's also true for us. This is the blessed hope that there, uh, there will be a time when those living will actually be present for the coming of the Lord. Now, this Lord that's coming is the same one who loved us, who, 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 who brought us into himself, who died for us. Uh, uh, he, he died so that our sins might be forgiven, that he might deliver us. And he said that he's going to deliver us from the wrath that is to come. You know, this letter that Paul wrote was written many, many years ago. I said it was written back in 50 AD to Christians who long since have left this earthly scene. But the truth that they believed in lives on today. Now may this truth of this chapter, these verses, not only live in the written pages of the word of God, but may it be manifested as well in our hearts and in our daily lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to... Uh... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.